0: All right, let me pray. Let me just ask the Lord to help us. Lord Jesus, as we look in your word this morning, um, we are are grateful that these are more than just words on a page. Um, We believe that somehow in your sovereign plan, you used people um, to write your word and then you preserved it for us, and we love it that we have these 66 separate letters written over a crazy amount of period of time that all tell us the same things. (laughs) It's amazing, and so we thank you for that, and I pray specifically for what we do this morning. Lord, as we look at the book of Philemon, I ask that you would use the truth that is in this book um, to help us as a church, to protect us as a church, to allow us to be the church that you want us to be. So, Use, use this, God. I know, that, uh, I know that my friends in this room are in very different places. They've had weeks that have been <laughs> very different. Um, some have had very joyful moments this week, and some have had very sad moments this week. And so I, I just pray, God, that you would uh, send your spirit to use one little thing in this message to comfort and encourage um, those who need it, to build faith, um, to give perspective. And then, Lord, you would also use this time um, to continue to form and build this church. Uh, so help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. So you guys know that as a church, we are about three things. And those three things are gospel and mission. We're about the gospel, we're about community and mission. And I've said since day one, actually, I said, like I said this, pre-day one, that community is going to be messy, Community is going to be messy. Whenever you put two people in a room together, forget having a mission, but put two people in a room together and have a mission. And you're going to have conflict. (laughs) You're just going to have it. I mean, you guys know this. If you've hung out with anyone long enough, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be hurts. There's going to be offenses. There's going to be sinning. It just happens. This is why so many churches split and why there's all these divisions going on in churches and fighting and quarreling. It's because trying to build community is a very challenging thing. Well, today we're going to look at an amazing little story of what it looks like when individuals share their faith, live out their love and their zeal for Jesus in a way that affects the mess. Because a mess is going to happen. It it has happened over the last seven years, and it's going to keep happening because we're human, and, and we're sinners, and we're going to have disagreements, and it's going to be messy, and this is going to help us. This story, we're going to look at the book of Philemon today, or for those of you who are Presbyterian, Philemon We're going to look at Philemon today, which really is just a, it's just a crazy story. And it's just a beautiful story of how we handle, how to handle conflicts and hurts and offenses and disagreements. It's about how do you speak the gospel into these relationships when things go weird and bad. Um, so Mark's going to come read. Before Mark does come and read, though, you may be wondering, why is Philemon paired with Colossians in your scripture journal? Anybody wonder that? That seems random, doesn't it? So I just want to show you why really quick. And I'll take a second here. If you're in Philemon, look down with me at verse 10. Verse 10, there's a the name of a man mentioned there. His name is Onesimus. Okay? Now, if you've got your journal, if you do, if you don't, just go back to Colossians 4. So Onesimus is the name we're holding in our head. We're going to see other names, so I don't want you to get confused. Onesimus. And then if you go to Colossians 4.7... It says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. So this guy Tychicus is being sent to the church in Colossae. And here's why. That you may know how, how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Okay, so that's the name. That's the connection. So I'm going to fill this out more later, but it seems that when Paul sent this letter, Colossians to Colossae through Onesimus and Tychicus, he also sent the book of Philemon with them to Colossae from Rome. Does that make sense? So that's the connection. That's why they're linked together that way, basically because of this dude, Onesimus, all right? So with that, Mark Jekyll is going to come, and he is going to read to us the book of The Little Letter of Philemon. Thanks. Yep.
1: The Book of Philemon. whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf through my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me. But now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be, the be to God. God. Amen.
0: Thank you, Mark. All right, so what do you do with this letter? Well, from this letter, I think, and from the book of Colossians, I think we can piece together a pretty accurate picture of a messy relational situation. Um, this is messy. It's a, it's a messy story. And I want to I walk us through it just to see if I can piece it together to help us know exactly what's going on here. So in this letter, there's 12 names mentioned, right? You maybe have caught those. But there's three that rise to the surface. So this, this letter, humanly speaking, is primarily about Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. Those are the three main actors in this um, so let me begin with Philemon. What, what do we know about Philemon? Because you've got to kind of picture somebody. Like, if, you know, if I say to you, well, everybody knows who Andy Smith is, you immediately have a picture of who Andy Smith is and what he looks like and his personality. So I kind of want to put this person in front of you and give you an idea what he's like because it's pretty important to the story and how it unfolds. So in the story, we know the guy has servants, okay? So he, he has bond servants. We also know that he has a house big enough to have church in. So he he's offers his home um, for church gatherings. So I conclude from the fact that he has servants and a house that big, that dude's got some money. So I don't know whether he's a wealthy business guy. I don't know what he, how he handles his finances, but he's, he's got money. He's got cash. So he's a rich, rich, well-to-do individual. I also think he must be generous to some degree, that he's allowing people. I don't know how often is this church gathered in his home, but he's allowing a, a pretty big group of people to just crash his house. And if you guys have had people do that before, you know that that can be tiresome. Um, but there's a, there's a, he's a generous man, that he would allow that to happen. Um, also, you look at verse 5. It says very clearly, um, I thank God, as Paul saying about him, when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So he loves the saints, and he has faith in Jesus. And then if you go down to verse 7, this is maybe one of my favorite verses in this, in this passage, um, it says this, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. My brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So, if you spent time with him, you would find yourself leaving refreshed, filled with joy because you were with him. So, this is the kind of guy you'd want to be with, right? I mean, he's successful, uh, he, he takes care of others, he loves others, he has faith. When you're with him, when you're done and you walk away, you feel refreshed and excited about the Lord and what God's doing in your lives. You guys people know like you know people like that? Like you just you just want to be with them. They stir your faith up. That's Philemon. He's that kind of individual. Well, Philemon then has a bondservant named Onesimus. So let's just make sure that we all understand what a bondservant is, because I think our minds can go to slave and can go back to like early America, which was a very horrible, horrible type of slavery. Being a bondservant was very different. Being a bondservant had nothing to do with race. Anyone in Rome or in Colossae could become a bondservant. And it wasn't just manual labor. A doctor could become a bondservant. So Onesimus at some point must have realized, maybe his parents said, you've got to get a real job. Or I don't don't know what happened. But somehow he went to Philemon and he said, hey, I'll be your bondservant. I'll sign on for X amount of years to do the work that you want me to do. And they made an agreement. So I'm, I'm painting a picture here of what he was like. It seems like if, if he's under Philemon's headship, Philemon's the boss, that he was treated pretty well, right? Because we've got a picture of Philemon that's a pretty upright kind of dude. So I'm imagining Onesimus was treated well, at least, for his, at least for this season where Philemon was a believer, and we don't know how long that was, but he was treated well by him. Then we also learn some other things about Philemon that are actually kind of funny. Verse 11 is very blunt. Paul says, "Formerly he was useless." <laughs> you ever know anybody who just think they're just useless. They're absolutely useless. No matter what we give them to do, they mess it up, they fail. they don't get it done on time. Maybe he was lazy, I don't know, but it seemed like, like he would get something to do and then he wouldn't finish it. Or if you finally got it done, it would only be half done. Or way later than it was supposed to be done. Bottom line was, he was labeled as, he was just useless. We also, from this story, we see that he's a thief. That at some point, he decides, and I don't know whether this was an entitlement thing, I don't know what was going on, but something inside of him said, I deserve better, I deserve more, I'm not being treated the way that I should be. So he steals from Philemon and then takes off. Maybe he took cash, maybe he took gold. I don't know what he took. Stuff around the house, and he leaves and he heads for Rome, which makes him a fugitive. Um, and if, I've read different things, but if what I read is true, he could actually be put to death for breaking that contract and being a fugitive and leaving as a bond servant. So you got this kind of rough around the edges. Like I'm willing to take the risk. I deserve better. I'm grabbing the stuff. I'm taking it and I'm leaving. And so he takes off. And where does he go? To Rome. And in his trek to Rome, and I, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, uh, he ends up in prison with Paul. So I'm wondering if maybe he went to the pawn shop, sold all the stuff that he stole from Philemon. He spent all the cash. He had nothing left. So he's shoplifting. He got caught in the 7-Eleven stealing candy bars because he had nothing to eat. And so he finds himself now in prison next to Paul. And so, I mean, this is semi-funny, ironic. Um, just so happens that Onesimus ends up next to Paul in jail. And I wonder if this is kind of how the story might have unfolded. So you've got Paul, he's chained up, he's in jail. And then in walks Onesimus, chained up, and he's standing there. He's like, What's up? What's up? What's up with you? What are you in for? Stealing. What are you in for? Preaching the gospel. Doing the what? Preaching the gospel. You don't know what the gospel is? No, I never heard of the gospel. What's the gospel? I was hoping you would ask. (laughs) The gospel is about Jesus of Nazareth. He came and he lived with us. He died and then he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. So through repentance and faith, you can be forgiven of stealing and everything else you've ever done and have eternal life. Huh. I've heard of Jesus before. My master talks about Jesus all the time. Oh, he does. Who's your master? Uh, you wouldn't know him. I'm not from around here. I'm from Colossae. Oh, Colossae. I know some people in Colossae. Tell me, come on, who's your master? Uh, you wouldn't know. I'm far away. Hi. Right. His name is Philemon. Get out of town. Are you serious, Philemon? You've got to be kidding me. I know Philemon really well. Tall guy, beard, wears plaid. That's right. That's him. That's amazing. What a coincidence. Yes, it is. What a coincidence. And then they spend a certain amount of time in jail together. We don't know how long. Is it a week? Is it a month? We don't know. But over the course of their time together, Onesimus gets born again. He gets saved. And he, Paul says he becomes useful to him. So somehow I'm guessing that means that Onesimus must have gotten out of prison before Paul. And so he began to deliver letters. He began to gather food and bring it to Paul. Blankets, parchments, whatever it was that Paul needed. Somehow he became useful to Paul in the spreading of the gospel. And then at some point, they had the awkward conversation. I don't know who brought it up. I don't know whether Paul waited or not. But somehow it got brought up. Onesimus, you're going to have to go make things right with Philemon. And Onesimus was probably like, I ain't going back. I could be jailed forever, beaten, or killed, put to death for leaving. And so Paul goes, I tell you what I'm going to do. You were going to go back anyway to Colossae to deliver the letter of Colossians to the church in Colossae. So why don't I write another letter that you can take with you to Philemon. I'll appeal to him on your behalf to not hold your debt against you and to receive you not just as a bondservant, but to receive you as a brother. And so that, my friends, is where we get the book of Philemon from. It's Paul's appeal to get Onesimus in a right relationship again with Philemon, his master. But it does raise the question for me, why is this in my Bible? I mean, this is like a personal letter, right? like one man to one man about one situation. And it's like, why is it in here? And then who copied it and Why? Like, who decided how this would go down and and why there would be copies made? And so my hunch is that at some point, Philemon must have thought, the content of this letter has had such an impact on me and my relationship with Onesimus that it needs to be read by the other churches. The other churches are going to have relational mess, and they need to know how to handle that relational mess. So I'm going to make copies of this letter and send it, to all the other churches in the area. And that's perhaps how it got copied and distributed. But what is it about this story that made it worth, or this letter that made it worth copying and sending around? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think verse 6 sums it up for us. So if you would like to look at verse 6 with me. Actually, I'll start in verse 7. No, I'm going to start in verse 4. Let me go 4 to 6. Let me just do 4 to 6. For he says this, this is Paul. I always thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love <clears throat> and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So I want to focus on verse 6 here. And I'm going to put it on the screen in hopes that this will help us. So this is verse 6. This is what I think is the heart of this passage that everything else is going to flow out of. Okay, So here's what he says. This is what he's doing. He's praying. Okay, So this is a prayer. This is something that Paul is desiring for this relationship between Philemon and Genesis. And here's what he prays. I pray that the... So we're gonna, I'm going to circle some. Oh, I did it, Jordan. Just like you said I would. Oh, I will figure this out. He says, I pray that the. I'm going to circle to some keywords. The sharing of your faith may become effective. So let's just stop there for a second. He prays, Philemon, I pray that. As you share your faith, that it will be shared in a way that is effective, that will have an impact, that will make a difference. The word sharing here is the same word for the word fellowship. So you guys probably have heard that before, right? Koinonia, everybody likes to say that word. I don't know why that won't stay, but that's the word for fellowship. So what he's saying is, I pray that your fellowship will revolve around your faith, your love for Jesus, your, your passion for Jesus, your belief in Jesus in a way that it becomes effective, that it has power, that it gets things done. And then he specifically says two things that it will get done, and you see the word for and for. Those are little prepositions, right? Transition words of some sort. So here's what he says. I pray that your faith, your fellowship uh, is shared around your faith in a way that is effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. So that means there is good stuff in you. God is doing good stuff in you that you don't have knowledge of yet. But when you have fellowship with others around your faith, You get knowledge of it. You see what God is doing. You experience God's presence. What's going on around you spiritually that God is doing. And then ultimately, that is for the sake of Christ. It's for him. It's for Jesus. So at the end of the day, you pursue whatever this is. And we're going to talk about this fellowship with one another that revolves around our faith, our love for Christ, so it will be effective in helping each other see what God's doing, have knowledge of what God's doing, so that he will receive praise. For his sake, for his glory, for his fame, for the building of his church. So at the bottom of it all is this is about Jesus and his fame and his church being built for his glory. But it happens through these three words. And so this is not how we talk typically, is it? I wouldn't say to you, hey, let's get together and share our faith so it'll be effective. <laughs> right? I'm not going to text Kaylin tomorrow. Hey, you want to get together and share our faith so it'll be effective? Like, you'd be like, what are you talking about? So this is not how we talk. But it's good for us to use the language of the text so that all of my sermons don't sound exactly the same. I don't want to put it in my lingo. Let's use the lingo of the text. So I'm going to use this language this morning as we work our way through this story And I want you to see why I'm using it. We're going to talk about how we share our faith in an effective way. And I'm going to say primarily here for the sake of Christ. So we share. We have fellowship with one another about our love and our passion for Jesus. So stuff happens. So it's effective. So there's power released as we do it. All right, let me put this away. So the rest of this story then The rest of the story, because he could have just sent that, right? But the rest of the story now gives us an illustration of what it looks like. He explains it now. He's going to give you a little drama, a little short play, to show you what it means and what it looks like when people share their faith in an effective way. That's why the story unfolds. And so we're going to now look into it. And as we do, I want to to point out just three, I'm going to use use the word ingredients, or three, three things that make fellowship effective in the midst of messy relationships. That was a mouthful, sorry. <laughs> three things or three ingredients that make fellowship effective in the middle of messy relationships. And I wanted to say this. Uh, this is primarily about our relationships as God's people. But I think it also... Can be marriage and parenting. I think there's marriage and parenting stuff in this that, as I was studying, going, oh, wow, this applies to more than just church relationships. This applies to all relationships that I have in my life. So I'd encourage, I won't be making a lot of those connections today, but as you're listening, you'll be thinking about how this might relate to my marriage or it might relate to my kids um, as well as to us as a church. So, ingredients, three of them, that make fellowship effective in the midst of a messy relationship. The first ingredient is grace, the first ingredient is Grace. So effective sharing of your faith or effective fellowship in the faith must be permeated with grace or permeated in grace. Grace must dominate the situation when there is a conflict. So maybe this morning you want to imagine your last conflict or your last disagreement or whatever it is, and bring. Let's make this little case study for you in applying this. So grace is the first thing now. I need somebody to tell me why, from the text, from the letter, would I say that it must be, this situation must be permeated with grace. Was anybody here last Sunday? Good, good. He opens and he closes with grace. So let's not overlook that. I know it can be seen as just, oh, that's just an intro and that's just an ending. It's God's word. They're put there for a purpose They're meant to be powerful. It's meant to be effective. So verse 3 says, grace to you. Verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So it's bookended. Grace to you, grace be with you. Grace to you, grace be with you. So this story really is all about grace. How does grace speak into my relational tension, my conflict, Someone hurt me or harmed me or sinned against me. Or my two friends are in a conflict and now I've got to come along and try to help them. Well, grace is meant to speak into that. So this is not, this story as we get into it, is not about be good to others so God will be good to you. (laughs) That's not what it's about. But God's not going, oh, if you're really good to him, then I'll be good to you. It's not what it's about. It's not even about treat others the way you want to be treated. Parents would be thinking that way because... I know I can have said or want to say to my kids, treat, treat, treat him the way you want to be treated. That's not even what this is about. This is about treat others the way God has treated you. That's a huge difference. Bring God into the picture. Recall how God has treated you and now you treat others the same way. So this is about extending grace to others because of the grace you have already received from God. And since in grace God blessed you, You've got to get a hold of this. In grace, God blessed you even when you were offending him, rebelling against him, and sinning against him. Now we extend grace and bless those who offend, hurt, and sin against us. And that's why this letter that's really a letter about personal conflict and hurt and pain and sin is bookended in grace. Specifically, in this story, Paul is not asking Philemon to do anything that Jesus hasn't done for him. Do you see that? He's not asking Philemon to do anything that Jesus hasn't done for him. Listen, Paul is just speaking Jesus into this situation. Paul's con- considering who Jesus is, a God of grace. He's full of grace and truth. And what he's done in his sacrifice to bring grace to people, and then he's connecting that, we're going to see it, to this messy relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. And so he's just asking Philemon to treat Onesimus with the same grace that Jesus has treated him with. Now, if you're—this is where, like, faces help, people help. Like, think—if you try to think about how hard that would have been for Philemon— I mean, imagine you, you love someone, you care for someone, you provide for someone, you give them a job, you're patient with them, even though they're useless. <laughs> you're doing everything you can. I mean, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm taking what I learned about the personality of Philemon, and I'm assuming the guy invested in this kid. I am calling him a kid. Who knows? Maybe he wasn't, but I picture a 20-year-old. But so there he's investing in this individual, and then the dude up and leaves and steals from him. And now Paul's saying, you know, take him back and forgive him, and don't worry about his debt anymore. If I'm Philemon, I'm like, what? Are you serious? Like, the dude is a loser, a slacker. He stole from me. Like, this would have been hard. And so I think this whole category of how grace functions in this story is massive in order for Philemon to even consider taking Onesimus back. So there's the—I see grace, bookended. I want to show you there's grace in one more place, and that is the idea that Onesimus has gone from being useless to useful. So maybe you see this in your footnotes, but the word Onesimus in the Greek actually means useful. So when Paul says in verse 11— Formerly he was useless to you. I mean, he's just—it's a—it's a pun. He's a play on words. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So he's saying, "Old useful, who was actually useless, is now useful." <laughs> it's kind of what he's doing. So it's—it's it, it's supposed to be a—I think it's supposed to be almost a funny moment, a little humor mixed in on Paul's part to show that there's been a transformation, a transformation in Onesimus. The gospel of grace has transformed him from being useless to useful. He was useless to God in in spreading the gospel and bringing him glory. And now he is useful to God. He was useless to Paul when he first got to prison. Now he's useful. He was useless to Philemon. And now he's useful to Philemon. God has radically changed this man, and not just his usefulness, but even his heart. I mean, Paul in verse 10, and again in verse 11, there's affection there. He talks about, when I send Onesimus, I'm actually sending my own heart with you. Like, they'd become buds, like, like Pally They were really, they were together. (laughs) They enjoyed their company. They were serving together. They had a deep friendship. Like, God had changed this guy, not just in what he did, but God changed His heart completely from the inside out. So the first thing is grace. Grace. So as you, we're going to talk more, kind of flesh it out a little bit, but be thinking, when there's a relational mess, grace must permeate that situation. Number two is the word encouragement. There has to be encouragement. Effective fellowship in the faith must be saturated in encouragement. There's got to be encouragement. When you think there's a conflict, we don't think, oh, bring encouragement. Bring encouragement. But that's what he does. This whole letter is really just one big encouragement. It's crazy the amount of encouragement that's in here. He begins in verse 5 with showing Philemon, pointing out to him all the ways he sees God at work in his life. So he, he, he appeals to Philemon. He says, hey, Philemon, I'm going to encourage you. I, I, I am so encouraged by the love you have for the saints and your faith in Jesus. In verse 7, Philemon, I'm so encouraged by the way that other people are refreshed when they're with you. He encourages Philemon by reminding him in verse 21, I know you're going to do the right thing. I know you will. I know at the end of the day, you will end up doing the right thing. So he, so he encourages him for his fruit. Then he encourages Philemon to receive Onesimus back without demanding it. So this is, he's encouraging him. Come on, you need to receive him back. And Paul says in verses 8 and 9, I could have commanded you to do it. I could have told you, you got to do this. I could have basically pulled rank and twisted your arm as an apostle. But instead, it says he appealed in verse 8. I, I appeal to you to do it. I encourage, the word appeal there is the word for encouragement. I encourage you to do it. So there's just, it's just one encouragement after another. And then he encourages Onesimus by pointing out the sovereignty of God. It's kind of hard to see, but it's here. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, he says, For this perhaps... <laughs> it's, it's There's sarcasm so often in it. Perhaps. Just perhaps. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that, he might, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. So I, it seems like he's really encouraging him, like, you realize that God's hand is probably in all of this, Philemon? He was useless before. Now he's coming back useful. And he's not just coming back to a bondservant who will end his contract one day and leave. He's coming back to you as a brother that you're going to have forever as a brother in Christ. So again, he's just encouraging him over and over again. And I think encouragement is necessary if a church is going to share faith In an effective way that gets us through conflicts. So we got grace, we got encouragement. Last one is action. Action. Paul takes a lot of action in this letter. And so for fellowship to be effective, or for us to have effective fellowship in the faith, it's got to be stirred into action. We're to be people who do stuff. So the first thing I see Paul doing is he's writing a letter. He actually writes this letter. He realizes there's a situation where someone needs to be reminded of grace and encouraged. So he pulls out his phone and he sends the text. You ever been there? He pulls out his laptop, quick, sends the email. People, see, this situation is, is, is bad. There's conflict. I need to send an email. I need, to, I need to call them and just say, hey, just want to remind you how I see God at work in your life. I want to encourage you. I to remind you of grace in order for you to help get you through this situation. And I think Paul knows that situations like this can lead to division. imagine if they don't reconcile. People are going to take Onesimus' side and some are going to take Philemon's side. And then word's going to spread. And then there's going to be gossip and slander. And the next thing you know, the church is divided and everyone's in a fight over this situation. And Paul knows that. And so he's taking action. He also prays in verse 6. We see that. So he prays. He writes a letter. He prays. And then he says, and then he releases Onesimus. He, he, it says in verse 10, That Paul led him to Jesus. Paul loved him. Paul thought he was useful to him. He was like a brother to him, but he released him. He takes action and releases him to go help with the situation. So he releases him back. And then finally, he also offers to pay Onesimus' debt. Do you guys see that in verse 18? It's a crazy thing, what he says. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand, I will repay it. So Paul takes the action and realizes, look, if money is going to become a dividing point and you guys reconciling, I'll pay it. I'll pay the debt. Onesimus can't do it, I'll do it. I'll pay it. Just so you guys will reconcile. Let's not make money or whatever he's stolen from you the issue. So he takes that action and that initiative. And then in verse 22, he takes another step of action. If you guys see what he says, I'm going to come visit you. Verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me as I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Some people think that that's like, like, I'm coming. (laughs) You know, like, I'm going to come check up on you to make sure you did what I said. And I think it's more of a, look, you might need more help. And so I'll stop by to help you. If there's there's more that has to happen in relational um, uh, reconciliation, I'll be there. I'll help you guys get over this. I'm going to come visit you. So Paul's willing to take all these steps in order to help the church. So you got relationships with conflicts, with sin going on. We need grace. There needs to be encouragement. And there needs to be steps of action that we are willing to take. If we're going to be a church that shares faith with each other in an effective way, if we're going to be a church that has effective fellowship with each other, then we've got to be a people who know how to live in grace, encouragement, and action. So three words to remember. Grace, encouragement, and action relationships are going to be hard, upsetting. People are going to sin against you. You're going to sin against people. And we're going to need to look back, I believe, on this letter in days and years to come to remind ourselves of how this was handled so we can then handle it in a similar way as a church in helping resolve conflicts that come along. Does that make sense? All right. Now, I want to do one more thing. I want to look at one more thing as we wrap this up. Because this really is just one big gospel story. It's really just a reenactment of the gospel, if you will. Typically, we read an Old Testament story, right? And we're like, how does that foreshadow Jesus coming in the gospel? In this case, Jesus has already come. And now is a story unfolding where the gospel is being lived out in a real-life situation. But the characters in the story really paint a picture of the gospel in a very vivid way. You begin with Onesimus. Onesimus is really us, he really is. like As I read this story, I'm like, he's me, useless. I was lazy, selfish, rebellious, breaking contracts, wanting what other people had, discontent, and a thief in different ways. That, that, that's us. We are Onesimus. But because of the gospel of grace and the power of the Spirit, we get turned into brand new people. We're transformed. We're turned into useful people. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Then you've got Philemon. Philemon is sort of like the Heavenly Father in the story right? He cares for Onesimus. He loves Onesimus. He provides for Onesimus. And then Philemon is wronged against. He's sinned against. The one he's caring for is rebelling against him and running the other way with his stuff. So it's kind of like he plays the role of the father, which only leaves Paul, who if you've tracked through the story, who is he? He's the mediator, isn't he? Paul acts like the mediator. He's passionate for reconciliation. And so he steps in to mediate between Philemon and Onesimus. And he's willing to pay the record of debt. Right? I mean, that's what he's doing. He's saying, I'll step in here. I want to mediate. And whatever debt there is, I'll pay it. I mean, he really is a Jesus figure. I mean, the story almost belongs in the Old Testament, right? Where we would go, oh, look, it's painting a picture. What's going to happen someday? Instead, it's, no, this is in the church so the church sees in practical ways how the gospel functions. And hopefully the world sees how the gospel functions. So this story really is just a, the gospel in miniature. And what it looks like when the gospel is applied to messy relationships. And when relationships get jacked up. That's really what it's about. And I think we could also apply this in another way. Because in the days to come, I think every one of us will play all three roles. In the past year, I have been the Onesimus in the story, the Philemon, and the Paul. I've been the one who causes the trouble, sins, says stuff I shouldn't say, self-righteous, judging. I've been that guy in the last year. I've also been the Philemon, the guy on the other end who gets hurt by people. And I've been the Paul who's trying to help reconcile people. And my hunch is every one of you in the next year will have a beautiful opportunity. (laughs) You will have an opportunity, and you will play all three roles. At some point, you will be the sinner who hurts someone. You will be the Onesimus. And at some point, you're going to be the Philemon. You're going to be on the receiving end of hurt and pain. Someone's going to irritate you, disagree with you, offend you, sin against you. And each one of us in the next year are going to find ourselves in the middle of that, where you watch two people not getting along, and you want to try to help them. And so this story is here in a very practical way to help us to know how do we as a church paint a vivid and accurate picture of the gospel by how we handle messy relationships. That's really what it's about. And so I pray that we will bring grace into every one of those conflicts. We will encourage everyone who's involved and that we're all willing to take the appropriate action to help bring about the reconciliation that needs to be brought about. Amen? It's beautiful to preach through, the, preach through the Bible because I can come to stuff like this, and I'm not doing it to be corrective. It's not like, oh, crap, our church is so jacked up with conflict. We better read Philemon together. Instead, it's the opposite. I feel like we're doing well, and so we come to this, and I go, okay, God, you're preparing us, and you want to help us so that we know how to handle future conflicts in a way that will show the church how the gospel is supposed to function instead of people's. This is the difference between Colossae and here. Here it's, I'll just go to another church because there's 100 churches within 10 miles of here, right? In Colossae, you didn't have that option. You had to work it out. So I pray that we can learn how to work it out and to get through whatever conflicts happen to come our way just because we're all a bunch of sinners. And like I said, pre-church plant, relationships are going to be messy. So buckle up for the mess, and let's pray the Spirit of God helps us to walk through those messes in a way that's graceful, encouraging, and filled with action. I want to pray for us, for that very thing. Lord Jesus, you know, right now, if there's relational tension and hurts and offenses within our church, and God, if I pray that there are, that your Spirit would please help that... This little letter from Paul to Philemon would help us to know how to handle those types of things. And Lord Jesus, I pray for our future. God, I'm grateful that whatever happens in the future, that there is grace waiting for us to help us handle that. And I pray that whatever those look like, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be a people who know how to apply grace and encouragement, and to take action in ways that would please you. God, we need that. We don't want our church to be another statistic of a church that split, that had internal trouble, that there were fights everywhere, and people leaving, and division, and God, we don't want that. Um, But we know that things are are, going to be hard at times relationally. And so I pray when they are that we would, you'd remind us to look back at this little book and know how to bring the truth from it in a way that would allow Whatever disagreements, conflicts, hurt, and sin we have against one another to be resolved in a way that paints a picture of the gospel and that we would do it for your sake, that we would see that this is not just about us getting along. This is about your glory and your fame and your honor and the good of your church. Um, So, Spirit, help us, I pray. Help us. Help my friends, God, because I imagine that between friendships and family, it won't take long before we need to apply these these truths. (laughs) Probably today or tomorrow. And so help us, God. Help us to remember. Teach us, too. God, I don't always know how to bring grace, how to encourage, and what action to take. But we've got your Spirit. And so I pray for my friends that you would help us, that we would depend on your Spirit so you'll show us how to do those things and teach us how to do those things and grow us in how to do those things um, so that we would be a healthy church um, where our faith is effective and where we have fellowship around our love for you in a way that makes a difference in our relationships. And do this for your glory and your fame, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.